message this morning, uh, I want to speak to you for a few minutes on something I really did feel God put in my heart for this season and this time and for this church. It's something that I truly am passionate about myself personally, and I really pray that this morning it challenges you, that it encourages you and encourages us as a body to become more like Jesus in this way. And I know sometimes holidays like this, they don't bring up the best feelings. They don't bring up the best emotions in everybody because we all come from different walks of life and different, you know, things and circumstances. And so it's not always a great day for everybody. And so I recognize that. And excuse me, I believe, though, that this is a topic that every man, every woman, every teenager, young, older person can relate to and um, we can move forward in. And I believe that this is something that we should live uh, with as the forefront of our minds and not just as an afterthought. So this morning, the topic I've chosen is the topic of legacy. Legacy by definition is this, something transmitted by or received from an ancestor or predecessor or from the past. So legacy is something that we typically pass on after we leave this earth, and it's something that people remember us for. And it's often something that we don't, um, I know some people will think of it like in financial terms of like, oh, I'm gonna set my family up, I'm gonna leave them this trust, I'm gonna leave them this, this fund, they're gonna be set for life after I'm gone. But it's not something that we often think about. And what I wanna bring up to you today is this, it's an idea of a living legacy. It's the idea that we, we live on purpose now that we live on purpose now, and that we live with the intention to impart now the things that we carry to those that are around us in today's day, not waiting till we're long gone, not waiting till the, the celebration of life, not waiting till the after effects of who we are. And I believe it is incredibly imperative to those around us that we live well in our, our now. People need us to live well now, not later, not yesterday, now. They need us to live well today not just looking forward uh, for what we can leave behind to them. They needed to know what we carry. So this morning, we're going to look at some snapshots of a Bible hero that we all know and love, and that is Joshua. Don't we love Joshua? He was a cool guy. There were songs written about him. Our kids sing him in, in Sunday school. I'm not going to sing him for you because I'm not a singer. You don't want that. But he did a lot of cool things. <clears throat> so we're going to go kind of quickly through some of his highlights of his life, touch on a few main points about him this morning. So the first highlight, there's going to be some um, points and scriptures and things behind me. I'm reading from the Amplified this morning uh, for all the scriptures that I'm going to do. So you can kind of follow along there. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can open to, we're going to be in Exodus 17 to start. And the first highlight that I wanted to uh, name of Joshua is that he was a mighty warrior, wasn't he? He fought some battles in his day. So we're going to read out of Exodus 17. Uh, we're going to start at verse 8 and go down to verse 13. So it says this. Then Amalek and his people came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose men for us to go out and fight against Amalek and his people. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said. And he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the hilltop. Now, when Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And when he lowered his hand, due to fatigue, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy, and he grew tired. So he took a stone and put it under him. 
and he sat on it. Well, that worked out, didn't it? I'm like, I'm kind of tired. Roll, roll over this rock. I'm going to sit down. <clears throat> so he sat down. Um, let's see. Then Aaron and her held up his hands on one side uh, and one on the other. So it was that his hands were steady until the sunset. Verse 13. So Joshua overwhelmed and defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So I've heard the story of this battle of Moses and Aaron and her many, many times in the course of my life. I've grown up in the church, so I can't tell you how many times I've heard this story of this battle. And we all know it. When Moses' hands were lifted, Israel was doing well. They were fighting the good fight. They were off for victory. But as soon as Moses got tired and his hands went down, Amalek started to prevail. They started to lose this war. And so it was, it was super important for Aaron and her to lift his, his hands. But what I never realized, and maybe this is just me, <laughs> over all these years, is that even though Moses, Aaron, and Hur are the main characters of this story, Joshua was the guy that got to pick the army. He was the warrior that actually got chosen to say, hey, I want you to fight with me, and I think you'll do well with me, and yeah, let's, let's do this together. He actually got to choose. Ultimately, the Lord brought many, many victories to Israel. It was, it was all his doing, right? We know that. But Joshua actually got to handpicked the army that would fight. And even in verse 13, Joshua overwhelmed and defeated the Amalek and his people. It was Joshua's warrior spirit. It was his fierceness in battle that took, took that land, took that battle. In verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in the book as a memorial and recite it. That word recite actually means to literally put it in Joshua's ear. That I will utterly wipe out the memory of a man. Amalek and his people from under heaven. Guys, this wasn't just a battle where they kind of scared them and they went with their tail between their legs and ran away. This was like Joshua took them out. The, the army he chose completely annihilated the Amaleks. Like out of the book is what the Lord said. Like I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to take them out from under heaven. Like you're not even going to know their names anymore. And this is what, what Joshua had a part of. He was a mighty warrior. When, th when it really came down to it. The second thing I want to touch on for a moment is that Joshua was a chosen, trusted leader and friend to Moses and to those around him. We're going to read, um, again, Exodus 24, verses 12 through 18. And it says this, Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me, on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you some tablets with the laws and the commandments which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua, his attendant, and he went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Remember that Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let them go to them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud, and covered, the, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory and brilliance of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, God called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. In the sight of the Israelites, the appearance of the glory and brilliance of the Lord was like consuming fire on top of the mountain. Moses entered the midst of the cloud and went up the mountain, and he was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So, again, a super familiar, familiar story and passage. Moses being called up to receive the Ten Commandments and those 
sacred things, you know, sacred commandments that we even to this day, we read them and they mean something deep within our soul, um, knowing how they were uh, presented. Verse 13 says, though, so Moses arose with Joshua, his attendant. He said, Joshua, come with me. Joshua was who was, again, handpicked to be with Moses when he went up to the mountain of God to receive those Ten Commandments. The, the Hebrew verb here for arose means to stand or arise. It actually means something like that of like a military command of attention. So when Joshua was told to arose, he didn't just stand up and, you know, neander over with Moses and I, whatever he doing. He actually stood at attention and he was ready to complete the task and uh, the commands that were given to him. So Joshua was a trusted leader to Moses. How funny I think it is that Aaron and her were the ones that stood and lifted his arms and, and kept the battle going, you know. But, yeah, in the end, Moses was like, you guys stay here. If there's any legal matters, you guys handle it. Joshua, you're actually going to come with me. I would have been like, what? I want to go with you. Like, there's, there's nothing good that's going to happen down here with Israel. We all know they complain and whine all the time, right? But Joshua was the one that got to go. I think that this passage also shows us that there was a different relationship happening here uh, with Joshua and Moses. You know, I don't know about you, but if I had the opportunity to... Um, to go away, I was going to go on this trip. 40 days, he ended up being there. I think I would want somebody with me that I actually cared for, that I liked. I think I'd want somebody to be with me that I had a relationship with um, and that I knew pretty well if I was going to travel with somebody for that long, right? So I think that this passage gives us the, the idea that Joshua and Moses had a friendship as well. If friendship had been established through the battles that they had fought together. They had an understanding. They had fought together, and they really must have just gotten each other on a few different levels is what I, I believe here. Joshua was with Moses in God's presence. That's a big deal. He went up to the mountain with him. I don't see in the scripture where it says that Joshua came down and Moses stayed. So, again, Moses is the main guy. He's handling everything. He's the one that's going to, you know, be in the glory to get those, those precious words from the Lord. But Joshua is there, and Joshua does not come down. In verse twenty-four, sixteen, the glory and the brilliance of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. Verse 17, the glory and brilliance of the Lord was like consuming fire on top of the mountain. Can you imagine being the Israelites at the bottom of that mountain and looking up and being like, what on earth is going on up there? Yet we're all down here. I think that that just must have been such an amazing, amazing sight to look up and to see. And then I think I would have been jealous because I wanted to be there. But Joshua and Moses had fought not only physical battles together, they had seen literal spiritual mountaintops together. You guys have those people in your lives that you can just go back and it's like you have this understanding because you've had this experience together with the Lord or even in the natural, right, walking through life together. And there's just something so precious and so different about it that you cannot even explain to somebody the depths of the relationship that you hold with somebody, with that particular person. I have people like that in my life that they are just my ride or dies. Everything, anything I do, they have been in, they have been there, good and bad, ups and downs over the course of my life, and especially over the last probably 10 to 15 years. So Joshua was not only a mighty warrior for Moses and fought with him, he was a trusted, chosen friend to Moses, along with being that amazing leader that he was. The third point, Joshua was full of faith. I feel like you can't have Joshua and not have faith. He was full of faith. 
in Joshua, I'm sorry, in Numbers 13, 8, Joshua's chosen again by Moses to be one of the 12 spies to go in to kind of scope out the land of Canaan that's been promised to Israel. And they have just like wandered around aimlessly. We know the story. But finally, they get to go check it out and, and spy it out. So uh, we're going to read in Numbers 13. And I'm going to spare you the beginning of 13 because that's all the uh, sons of this person and that person and names I can't pronounce. And so I'm not going to go there this morning. We're going to skip down Numbers 13, verse 16. And then we're going to go through 24. So verse 8, though, if you really want to know, is where Joshua is actually said to be chosen. You can go back up and, and look at that. But it says in verse 16, These are the names of the men who Moses sent to spy out the land. But Moses called Hosea, I probably said that wrong, the son of Nun, Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up this way into the Negev, which is the south country. Then go up into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many, and whether the land in which they live is good or bad, and whether the cities in which they live are open camps or fortifications, and what the land is, whether it is fat, productive, or lean, whether there is timber or not, make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land. <laughs> I think that's funny. Now, the time was the time uh, the first ripe grapes. So they went up, and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, a town in Lebanon, at Lebo Hamath in the far north. When they had gone up into the Negev, they came to Hebron and Ahimed, Shehat and Telmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. Verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshol, which means cluster of grapes, and from there they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grape, and they carried it on a pole between two of them with some pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of Eshol because the cluster of grapes was the sun, which the sons of Israel cut down there. So Moses wants all the details in this. Joshua is chosen with these 12 spies, and Moses tells them, I want to know, is the land productive? Is it not productive? Are the people big? Are they little? Can we take them? Like, what does this actually look like? Is the, the city completely you know, fortified, or can we just easily walk right in and do what we need to do? And so Moses is just kind of like, you know, he can't be there, so he needs these spies to really fill him in with everything that he needs to know. And so you've got 10 out of the 12 spies, we know the story, they come back and they're like, nope, we are grasshoppers. There is no way they're too big, they're too strong, this, no, there's no way we can take this city. But then you have Joshua and Caleb who come in and they're like, actually, this place is brilliant. It's beautiful. It's flowing with milk and honey. And you know what? We can take them. We can take them because God's with us. Joshua was full of faith. What I think is funny, too, is like the fruit. They said it says that it, they carried him out on two poles. Like, how big was that fruit? You know, I picture like big men carrying out huge clusters of grapes. And I'm, I'm sure I can figure out the measurement somewhere. But um, I don't know. That picture is just really interesting to me of how big and how plentiful the land really was. So Joshua and Caleb, they're both full of faith in this moment. In uh, Joshua 1 and 2, the Lord tells him that he will possess every place he sets his foot. Just be strong and courageous. Why wouldn't Joshua be full of faith? He knew that the Lord was with him. He knew that he didn't need to back down, and he knew that he didn't need to give up because God was like, I've got you. 
just trust me, just walk with me. So Joshua's life had the favor and the legacy of God all over it. Joshua was a mighty warrior, a chosen, trusted leader and friend, and a man who was full of faith. Don't worry, I didn't offend them. They're going to the Padres game. <laughs> In Joshua 4, there's a, the story of the Stones of Remembrance, another well-known story that involves Joshua. The Lord instructs each of the 12 men who are chosen from the tribes to pick up a rock from the Jordan and carry it to the other side and lay it down. And so Joshua tells the people the reason for this in verse 6, and you don't have to turn there, but he says this, So this may be a sign among you when your children ask later, what do these stones mean? So they were there so the people that came behind them would know what God had done for Israel. I think that's pretty cool, right? God wanted to make sure, the Lord wanted to make sure that the people that came behind knew exactly what he had done, exactly where Israel had been, um, and exactly where he had taken them. We're going to turn to Judges in chapter 2, um, and this is definitely not a highlight, guys, so we're going to take a little twist here. Okay. Israel is rebuked for their disobedience over the last several, several years of this journey. So in Judges 2, um, verse 8 through 10, the scripture talks about Joshua's death. So we're going to read here about Joshua's death really quickly. It says then uh, again, verse 8, through 10. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's a pretty good long life. Pretty old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Hears, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Also, all the people of that generation were gathered to their fathers in death, and another generation arose after them, who did not know, recognize, or understand the Lord, nor even the works which he had done for Israel. Again, this is not a highlight. How could this possibly be? The scripture saying that a generation came after Joshua, after everything Israel had seen, that didn't know or understand the things of God. This doesn't make a bit of sense to me. I remember the first time I read this, I heard it spoke on, and then I read it myself, and I was like, this, no, this is wrong. And I went back through and tried to understand better. Joshua was a warrior, a leader, a friend, and he was full of faith. But how did a generation come behind him that didn't know the Lord? They didn't recognize him or understand what he had done for Israel. How, did, how was it that Joshua succeeded at so much in his lifetime, yet he failed at the one thing that actually mattered? His name literally meant, means salvation, yet he did not pass on what he had. He spent time in the glory of God, he obeyed what was asked of him. He didn't back down and he didn't quit and he was faithful. It all just doesn't make sense. There were things written in the book. We had that in the first point. Write this down. Actually literally put it in Joshua's ear that he remember these things. There were stones of, re of remembrance at the Jordan and stories that should have been told, yet they weren't. They were not passed on to the generation that came after him. The first thing that came come to my mind after the initial shock of this is God forbid, God forbid that those that come behind me or, or even those that are ahead of me not know him on my watch, that they not understand who he is and understand what the Lord has done in my life or your life. No matter what our age, church, we carry a level of responsibility. All of us do. 
We're all very different, thank the Lord. Y'all don't want to be like me. I probably don't want to be like you all the time. But we, no matter what, we're fathers, we're mothers, we're sisters, we're brothers, some of us grandparents in the faith. We must make a commitment that not one person leaves our care not knowing who Jesus is. That has to be our heart's commitment, that all that we encounter would know him. My heart is that people that I encounter would not only know the stories of the miracles from the person that saw it or had a part in it, but that they would actually know the God who made the miracle happen. If they don't know him, that's all for nothing. If they don't truly know who he is. You see, my family and I have had the privilege to travel to um, some different countries, mostly into Latin America. We've done some work locally um, up in LA and things like different missions type trips. My kids have experienced the things of God. Most of you guys know my kids. If you don't, you should meet them. They're actually pretty great. My son's in the sound booth and my daughter's in Kidman. But um, anyway, that's nothing to do with my notes. <laughs> Just not. But my kids have experienced the things of God. They've seen demons manifest. They've seen people healed. They've seen love break down barriers in really ugly places. They have seen some crazy, crazy stuff. And they themselves have encountered the things of God. But what a disservice I do as a parent, as their mom, if, I, if, excuse me, if all they know is the miracle they've seen, yet they don't know the God of the miracle. You see where I'm saying there's a difference here. We can show them all the things, but until they have that encounter with the Father, we have passed on nothing. This just can't be on our watch, church. We have to be better than this. We have to understand that there is a desperate, confused world that needs him. Desperately. More than they will ever know. Especially in this day, especially in this hour. They need him. How do we do it is the big question. How do we do it? There's no easy answer for this. There really isn't. Because there's so many circumstances and so many different things that we come head to head with. But we need to be intentional. We need to be conscious of passing on what we know and what we have experienced ourselves. We must be obedient to the things God has asked us. That was part of Israel's problem was that they weren't obedient for all those years. And at the end, they had to be rebuked for it. And then what happened? I mean, if you go into the book of Judges, it's an ugly mess. It is so ugly. All because of disobedience. So our obedience isn't just for us. Our obedience goes on to the generations that will come after us, even to the people that are ahead of us, truthfully. There's three things we're going to go through that I believe are the starting point of how we do this. Because we could sit here all day and talk about how we reach and how we make sure that we pass on what we have. But there's three simple words that we're going to kind of dissect a little bit. They are love, teach, and release. Love, teach and release. The first one, love. Love people where they're at. It's his loving kindness that draws people to repentance. That's the scripture. So love people where they're at. It's okay if it's messy and it's okay if it's hard. And I know we don't like messy and we don't like hard, but people are messy and difficult. Love them anyway. Honor them anyway. Get into their space. Take an interest in their lives. Go to the game. You know what? If it's a child, go to the game. Nothing better than seeing somebody you know just show up. You know what? Go to the hospital. You know somebody's in the hospital not doing well? Family's having a hard time? Show up. Show up. Know their world. Get into their space. Genuinely love people. 
it's one thing to say, hey, I love you. It's quite another to be in the trenches with you. You know, we think of the story of Job. Where were his friends when he was going through it? Sometimes they were scoffing at him. But there was a moment where they were sitting with him in the pit. They sat with him. They didn't try and pull him out. They just sat with him. And maybe they didn't have anything good to say, but they sat with him. Genuinely love people. People are craving a deep connection and deep truth. And you have to know that you carry it. As children of God, you carry that. You carry the connection. You carry the truth. The second thing, teach Teach them who they are in Christ through discipleship, through accountability. Don't just tell people around you what to do. Actually do it with them. That's a whole other ballgame, right? You should do this. You should do this. But I'm not going to do it with you. No, do it with them. Model your God-given identity to the people that God has placed around you. Let people know how deeply loved and desired they are, not only by you as their friend, but by the Father. Let them know they're a son. Let them know they're a daughter. And you know what? If they're having a hard time coming to terms with that, pray with them, be with them. Do whatever you can to help impart that to them. Love people enough to say the hard thing. Does anybody like to have a hard conversation? Anybody? No? It's uncomfortable. It's a little weird sometimes. You don't know how, how it's all going to go. But love people enough to say the hard thing. I'll tell you what, that has saved my life more than I can even express to you. The people that would come to me and say, actually, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm, you know, feeling in the spirit. Those things will save people's lives if you walk it out with them. And the other thing that goes with this is be secure enough to encourage and affirm them. Because we, it's all cool when we feel like people are still learning from us. But what happens when they start to surpass us? We get a little... Insecurity is not a characteristic of the kingdom, my friends. We need to be secure enough to affirm people and to encourage them to continue on after the things of God. Paul said this, follow me as I follow the example of Christ. Give people something worth following. Live your life well. My husband used to say this often, when, especially when we did youth ministry. He said, you can teach people what you know, but you will reproduce who you are. We can teach all day long. I can teach until I'm blue. But in, in, until you know who I am in the core of my being, I can't reproduce that in you. It's only through real-life relationship, real-life conversations that, hap that happens. And church, reproduce the Christ that is in you to the people around you. The third point, third word, release. Release people to be and to do what God has called them to do. This one is actually my personal favorite because there is nothing better than somebody who comes to terms with their destiny. And there's something that, you know, is just really special about when they figure out what they were created for. Right? You guys remember the moment when, when God gave you a little bit of a tidbit of like, hey, this is what you're on earth for. This is why you're here. Wave at me if you ever had that moment. Like where you're just like, oh, I get it. I, I just have that feeling. I just know that this is why, one of the reasons that I'm here. Church, may our ceiling be their floor. May our ceiling be the floor of the people that come up next to us, that they would surpass us one day. If we love well, may they love deeper and without restraint in the kingdom. If we give well, if we're good givers, may they give more and live with an open hand to the kingdom of God. If we serve well, may they serve the cause of Christ without reserve. That's my heart this morning, that we would really be able to impart 
to those around us. May we send people out to be vessels of truth and righteousness to a broken and confused world. May we send people who carry peace to those in chaos. Our world is in chaos, in case we haven't noticed. Our world is in chaos. We have to be able to send people, including ourselves, into those chaotic places, into those moments of darkness, and release peace. That is what we are called to do. People don't belong to us. We need to raise them up and let them step into their destiny, whether that's here in this house, whether that is somewhere else, whether that is in the workplace, the marketplace, wherever it is, we need to raise them up and, and be the wind in their sails to go, whatever that looks like, whatever it, it needs to be, with no strings attached, none. And I'm going to be honest this morning, standing before you terrifies me. Okay, like, I'm surprised I actually haven't started, like, hacking. Normally, when I get nervous, my voice goes. And so, uh, it means we've had a pretty good moment up here. Because <laughs> I've been all right. Mm. <clears throat> but it, it's one of the most weighty things to stand before anybody. Whether it be with a microphone, whether it be teaching in a small group. The word is weighty. And so, many, many years ago, when I was asked to share at that youth group that I referenced earlier... I don't want to say yes. I don't want to. And, and of course, back then, there's no way I could have known I'd be standing in front of you today in big church. You know, because when you do kids and you do youth, that's youth and kids church. But when you stand up here, this is big church. There's a difference. It's a little scarier to be in big church. But people in my life cared enough for my, and loved my family enough back then to <clears throat> love us back to life, honestly because we had been hurt and we had been through some things way back then. They taught us who we were in Christ and helped us to understand our true identity in the Father. And the cool thing about the kingdom is that now Juan and I get to be mom and dad to some people too, because that's what the kingdom is. It reproduces. And so they've released us now to help lead and trust, and they trust us to help lead other people. And I know we have kind of gone, I feel like we've gone a few different places on the map this morning. Thank you for tracking with me. My question, my challenge to close this out is this. Will you commit today that, that on your watch not one person will not know who he is? That together as a family, because we're a family, that we would raise up those that come behind us and that we would learn from those ahead of us. Can we do that? I feel like that is just so important in this day and in this hour. Together, we will tell the stories. We will write it in the book, and we'll stack the stones, but we'll pass it on as well. We need to live as Joshua's. I love Joshua. You know, he didn't do so well in the end, but he did some really cool stuff leading up. We need to live as Joshua's. We need to be mighty in the battle. We have a battle that is raging around us always. We need to be fierce warriors of the kingdom and in the kingdom. We need to be faithful, trusted leaders and friends to each other, to those around us, to our families, to our friends. We need to be full of faith. We cannot live in this hour of the world without faith. We have to hang on to our faith. But guys, let's pass on what we have. Let's pass it on. It's not just for us. Psalm 145.4 says this, one generation shall praise the works to another and shall declare your mighty and remarkable acts. One generation to the next. Live with the intention of a living legacy today. Let's pass on now what we have to those around us. Around us. 
that everyone we encounter would know who he is. Everyone, that not one person goes out of our care without having a touch from him. And so I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. And I'm just going to pray. And if you just put your hands out in front of you, I just feel like this is just something that we need to receive as a body this morning. Um, we know we're in a different season. We've been in a different season the last few months, and God is doing something. We want to go with him. And so I believe that today we're just going to make a declaration. Lace, could you come just play the piano a little bit? It's kind of just quiet in here, you know? Thank you. I just want to pray. And, um, you know, if you'll just pray along with me and just really make that, that stand, that declaration with me, with all of us together, that says this is what we will commit to as a house, that we will be known as a house that raises people up, that loves people well, that teaches them and releases them. Can we do that? We have a lot of work to do as the body of Christ, not just here as the body. We have a lot of work to do to a broken, broken world. So God, I just thank you. I thank you, God, for the honor that it is to stand in your presence this morning. God, I thank you for the honor and the privilege it is to raise people up. So this morning, we just declare as a body, we declare as a church that we will be people, we will be brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers who raise up, God, with no strings attached. God, that we will disciple well, that we will hold each other accountable, and that we will do the mighty, mighty work of the kingdom together. Father, I ask that you would bless this house, God, that you would bless the people in it. Father, that we would continue to walk with you in this day, that we would continue to hear your voice so, so clearly in this day. And God, that not a move would be made without you. Not a move would be made without you, God, that when you step, we step, and when you speak, we speak. God, that we would do nothing more and nothing less. And that, Father, in this hour, we would just be able to release your kingdom to the chaotic world that there is to the brokenness, God. We just believe that we'll see healing and restoration come forth. Father, we just thank you that you are good. We thank you, God, that you are always taking us somewhere new. Father, we love you this morning, and we just bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.